Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Content Director with ACG's Media Group. Today's episode is part of our podcast series focused on family offices. Over the course of the series, we'll cover topics that are highly relevant to family offices today, everything from structure to policy changes, technology, and much more. The series is sponsored by RSMUS, a leading audit, tax, and consulting firm focused on the middle market. Each of our episodes will feature a different RSM professional who specializes in the topic area, and they'll weigh in on trends they're seeing across the family offices they work with, and they'll also share best practices. Today, my guest is Christina Churchill, a principal with RSM and the firm's family office consulting leader. For this installment of the series, Christina joins me to talk about some of the considerations around a family office's structure, as well as some of the things to think about around location and where a family office chooses to operate. Christina, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much for having us. So let's start by talking about structure. What are some of the key factors that come into play as a family office decides on what type of structure it wants to use? I think we always start with defining the mission or the goals of the family office. What are the top concerns of the family? What what are they really trying to solve? You know, is the focus on governance or communication, financial security, education, you know, maybe coordination of the advisors, business development, or the family's legacy? That really helps define what they need within their family office. Mm-hmm. It probably goes without saying that choosing a structure is a pretty important decision, but can you talk about why that is and what's at stake when it comes to getting the structure right? Primarily, it's it's to assure the family's needs are being served appropriately. You know, no different than an operating business, it's a significant impact to change your model. Uh, ideally, you want to get it right the first time. You know, there are three primary types of family offices, and they each have a unique purpose and some specific pros and cons. Yeah, and, and building off that, can you walk through what those three types are and maybe some of the advantages or disadvantages associated with each? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's the traditional single family office, and that's really focused on one family and their financial affairs. Um, typically, they're being managed by employees of the family. Uh, they're looking towards the investment, some fiduciary, trust estates. Uh, oftentimes, they'll have like a concierge function that is really focused on the needs of the family's day-to-day lives. It, the benefits of that is that you have a very high level of control. Uh, it's family first. They are really um, skilled at working through the long-term and multi-generational planning uh, as the family because they're incredibly close to that sole family. The cons is, is that the family is responsible for all of the HR and payroll type activities, liability, technology costs, and the, the need to maintain expertise. But that's probably the single most common type of family office. There's also multifamily offices, and they do very similar things to a single family, but they're taking into account multi-generations. They may also be selling services to other families. Um, so there's a commercial component to it or um, they can be private to just a few families. The benefits there is that you have more folks as part of the family office. So you have the ability to really expand your expertise and specializations. It allows for a better control structure, um, but it does increase your liability as you are working across multiple different families. Um, Your risk management is generally a a little bit heavier for that. Uh, Your IT structure is is typically more advanced than what you would see within a single family office. 
But some of the cons are just the need for very strict policies and procedures, increased talent levels, the cost related to that, and then simply the number of people that are required to support the family. And then you lose a a little bit of the customization that's available because you, you do start trying to streamline activities so that you're able to meet the needs of the many. And the third type we typically see are virtual family offices. Oftentimes, this is um, sort of the the starter house. When you you haven't had a family office before, you don't necessarily want the burden of employees. And so you're utilizing third-party providers to create the office for you. You get the benefits of the more traditional family offices at a little bit of a lower price point. Um, You're also able then to uh, grow or shrink the family office as needed um, through your providers. The, the con to it, though, is that you do have less ability for customization. Uh, you know, again, like the multifamily, they're dealing with a large number of different uh, families and needs. And so they're, they're trying to like-size a lot of the service offerings. And as we've been talking, I've, I think, been picturing a family office that's just starting out and making some of these structuring choices maybe for the first time. What about for family offices that are already established? What would prompt an existing family office to change its structure? And how do you know if a change is the right move? There, there's a lot of reasons, but it tends to relate back to a change in the family of some type. Uh, you know, do they have a family office today? Are they going through a liquidity event that's changing their wealth strategy, uh, divesting of an operating business, generational changes, or perhaps even a desire for new or different service levels. When a family arrives at that transition point, it's good to reevaluate the current structure and verify it's still meeting your needs. Again, similar to an operating business, when they are expanding or or shrinking in some way or or making new product changes, they take a look at all the components that they're utilizing from an operational perspective. And it's exactly the same with a family. What are some of the questions an existing family should, or existing family office rather, should ask itself as it's considering making a change? And do those questions maybe look different than ones asked by a family that's just setting up its office? They are a little bit different. A lot of it depends on where the family is in their life cycle um, of their family office. But I think the primary questions are going back to what do I want to achieve? What does my family really need? You know, how do I get started? Have, do I have the support that I'm looking for? You know, what is the cost factors that are going to impact my decision? And where can I get help? Who are those advisors that I can utilize? If you work through each of those questions, it really helps define the strategy of the office and gives you a plan as you're going to move forward to look at what options make the most sense for you. And I know an, another issue that comes up for family offices quite often is this question around what to outsource, what to bring in-house. What are some of the factors to weigh as a family offices makes those insourcing or outsourcing decisions? Essentially, it comes down to value, uh, expertise, and the need for customization. For example, typically families have an outside investment advisor and, and attorneys, and they have very specialized skill sets. It's difficult to replicate and to maintain fully within a family office. So you're utilizing the best resources that are available to you. Similarly, there are options for technology, cybersecurity, accounting, human resources that are available in an outsourced model. So the family's decision can be driven by priority. What's the most important to them? The availability of experts, 
the level of their need for control and customization. And Christina, listening to you talk about this makes me wonder whether there are any common mistakes that you regularly see family offices make, whether that's around the structuring topic or as it relates to outsourcing. Uh, The most common mistake is not defining your goals and rushing into a solution. It it often creates a need for future changes. Um, Given the future always changes a bit. If you have a solid plan, it helps alleviate some of the stress on the family office as you're continuing to evolve. Not evaluating both in-house and outsourced providers, uh, making assumptions related to the expertise, cost, or, or limitations without really evaluating or understanding what options are available is a common mistake. Uh, there, there's a number of resources that allow you to see that information today that helps streamline um, your decision-making process. One factor that's often overlooked is the cost and the time of maintaining the skill sets of your internal resources. I, I rarely see effective continuing education within family offices. It tends to be self-directed by the employees and often falls to the bottom of the priority list. And that creates a number of risks for the family as they continue to grow or, or just even over time. Switching gears a little bit here, I, I do want to ask you to talk about location, since I know that's another decision that can affect a family office's operations. Are you seeing any trends in terms of where family offices are, are choosing to operate? We've seen a number of family offices move locations over the past few years, uh, and a larger focus has really been on expanding the global locations than what we've seen in the past. Interesting. And so as more family offices consider those global options, what should they be thinking about before they relocate or add a new location? Domicile affects numerous critical components, uh, tax, liability, and regulatory compliance, to name a few. Uh, access to the global markets you know, allows the family to broaden their investment options. But with that, you need to implement new processes, parameters, and risks need to be evaluated. Some of the questions we would ask if the family is considering going down this road is what would compel you to move your operations? What's the reason behind the desire to move? Have you fully evaluated the cost and the benefits of establishing tax residency in a foreign nation? Uh, How secure are you in the understanding of the geopolitical and economic impact within those countries? Do your investment advisors operate effectively globally? And and I think probably one of the most important ones to families are uh, evaluating their global tax strategies. I imagine technology probably comes into play here as family offices are, um, you know, working either globally or they even if they have a a fully remote workforce. Um, How can family offices use technology to optimize operations in this context? Technology is incredibly important for family offices, especially as they become global or even if they're just seeking more mobility options. As we've seen more home-based workers, we need to evaluate additional ways to decrease manual efforts and to become more technology-centric, not only to become operationally effective, but to increase the security and the controls. Beyond the typical accounting and payroll systems, you know, investment applications, industry-specific tools, communication, and mobility platforms, as well as tools like FamilySite that unify information into a single view 
greatly increases the ability to meet the family's needs and increase their satisfaction with the level and the timeliness of the reporting. You mentioned family say that's something that I know we're going to be talking about in a a later episode of this series. So I'll put a pin in that and, and come back to that in a later episode. I do want to ask Christina whether there's other drivers that are prompting families to rethink how they're using technology beyond just the the globalization and the remote work that we've been talking about. Generational changes is probably the next biggest item that we're seeing. Uh, there's a, a desire for additional mobility and flexibility um, as the generations are shifting. There's a sunsetting of some of the current ERPs that are prevalent across family offices. And there's a need for additional security and controls as cybersecurity continues and will always be a high-risk item for families. Um, there's also an increase in ESG awareness and compliance that's impacting the technology needs of the family. And do you have any suggestions for how a family office can go about figuring out what type of technology solutions it needs, given all the choices that are available and just the overwhelming task of trying to figure out your needs and match them up with the right tools? Are there any questions you know that, that a family office can use to get started here? Overwhelming is a great word. Um, choosing the right solutions uh, depends on your specific needs, and there are a huge number of tools that are available out there. Uh, today, many families have multiple platforms uh, to complete their needs, and that limits their ability to have that unified, single sign-on, simple way of seeing things. Um, tools like FamilySite create that holistic and integrated view of their wealth aggregation, investment performance, tax, and outsourced accounting and reporting. And it really allows for more strategic decision-making. And I see more of that with each family I visit. They're really looking for a way to simplify and speed the, the, data, the data and the information that's being provided to them. The, the questions we tend to ask is, you know, how well is your accounting, investment, and tax systems meeting your needs? Is your team doing a large number of manual tasks? Do you have a way to do modeling or a sandbox or scenarios or investment, cash flows, tax? Um, you know, how do you manage your documents um, and secure communication is continuing to be a big issue for families. And then I think finally, just are your systems secure and are they being maintained, uh, you know, without a extensive IT group? That's often one of the things that falls behind a bit. Well, thanks for that. I think that's a really helpful list of questions to get started. We'll wrap up the interview here, but we'll pick back up with the next installment of the series for listeners out there who are subscribed in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Look for that next episode in your feed in the next few days, or you can also keep an eye on the middlemarketgrowth.org website where we'll also post the next episode in the series. Christina, it's been great speaking with you today. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts or on Spotify to make sure you never miss an episode. And if you liked what you heard today, please give us a rating and write a review. It really does go a long way in helping other listeners find out about us. This podcast is produced by the Association for Corporate Growth, the largest membership association for middle market M&A and corporate growth professionals. We host networking events across the world, we publish magazines and special reports, and much, much more. 
Learn more about the benefits of membership at acg.org and consider joining us as a member. Last thing, if there is a topic you want to hear us talk about on this podcast, a guest you think would be great, or even if you just have some general feedback you want to share, we would love to hear about it. Please send us a note to editor at acg.org. Thanks again for listening. 